0: Welcome into another edition of the and Victory podcast available on musketeerreport.com and all of your favorite streaming platforms. I'm Rick. And for this edition of the podcast, I am joined by Dan and the legend, Brian Snow. All of us are socially distanced. None of us are in COVID protocol, which is more than can be said for your Xavier Musketeers at in, the moment.
1: In fairness, most people have tried to socially distance from us for years. So none of this has been like new.
0: No, this is uh, probably best for, for all parties involved when it comes to us. Not as great when it comes to Xavier, who is back in a shutdown situation. Uh, they've had a couple more games postponed already, and we can maybe talk about the likelihood of Thursday's game, uh, next Thursday's game against DePaul being played as well. So, um,
1: gentlemen. So, uh, one thing that I would, I, I'm sorry, do we want to jump right in this? Or yeah, are we gonna go do ahead. The, our no. Marin bullshit open? No, go ahead. Um, snow. Can you explain just for us what the difference is between the Big East COVID, and I'm obviously you're not an epidemiologist, you just play one on message boards sometimes. Yeah. Um, can you explain what the differences between the Big East COVID protocols are and maybe like the SEC and the Big 12 and, and maybe why the Big East has chosen to be stricter with their protocols in those conferences? Uh, Well, the first thing is each individual school is actually different, which we can get to here shortly.
2: But for instance, like DePaul and Xavier have different quarantine periods. Goes by the CDC, what, seven days with a whatever test with negative test. DePaul, I think, is at 14 days, no matter what. So each school handles it differently within the Big East. The Big East just tends to have doctors that are very, I don't know if conservatives are because I don't know if they're being conservative or they're being correct. I have no idea.
1: Does it also depend on what like the local, the localities, the health departments and the localities, because I could see where. I, biggest, I think that has biggest, something to do with it. Big East, a lot of big city teams. And you would expect yeah. in general, the, the rules to be a little bit stricter. Uh, that I think that's got something to do with it.
2: I, I don't know all the specifics on that, but I feel like I know a lot of it's just difference of opinion of doctors. And you saw this in football and the Big East wasn't impacted, but the Big 10 and the Pac-12 had completely different rules than the SEC and the Big 12. What was it earlier this year? Ohio State was supposed to play Kentucky, I think it was. But they got switched to playing UCLA because the SEC has, you know, like they say they test three times a week. I think they test like three times a year um, versus like the Pac-12, which tests every day like the Big 10 does. And then yep. the big East is even different. Like, and I, I don't really know all this, you know, like different testing and stuff, but the big tens kind of theory is, and the PAC 12s kind of theory. And it, it makes sense to me like from a logical perspective is if you test, cause you're not, I guess, while we don't know exactly when you're contagious, um, they know you're not contagious the moment you get the virus because you don't have enough viral load in you or whatever the terminology is.
0: Jesus H, this is getting erotic.
2: <laughs> so the big 10 and PAC 12 series, if you test every day with the rapid tests, you will find out when a person becomes contagious and you can take them out and you wouldn't necessarily have to shut the team down. The biggies describe to that in the least. They They feel that's, wrong. Like their doctors, the people who are in charge feel that is just medically unsound. Mm -hmm. Again, I can't say who's right or who's wrong, but that there's all those differences. In the Big 12, if you have tested positive, they don't test you ever again. Whereas in the Big East, after 90 days, you're back in the testing protocol. Same Mm -hmm. with the Big Ben, same with the Pac-12. The SEC, again, I don't actually think they test in the SEC period. So- you know, like, you know, they're probably all just running rampant right now.
0: Yeah. So, moral of the story is there are different rules for the conferences when it comes to testing. Then there are even more different rules when it comes to each institution, when it comes to protocols and quarantines and contact tracing and all of that stuff. So, um, yeah, and we don't know all the differences. Tracing.
2: Like, I, I don't think anyone has an idea of,
1: I'll tell you, all over the board. Working for a large company, um, And having several colleagues who basically have done this full time over the last nine months, uh, I will say that nobody has a great, a great theory of how to do this, uh, how to do effective contract tracing, whether it be in the workplace or obviously whether it be in sports. Um, You know, college football seemingly took kind like a lot of college football kind of took a hold my beer approach to the season. Um, I feel like college basketball has kind of tried that, too, but you know, Snow. You made the point that football's football is different in a lot of different ways, but one of them is that you know guys are separate a lot more. Um, you're playing outside. You can really like basketball. You're you're in a you're in a you're in a, a humid gym, sweating on each other. Basically, that's the way you play <laughs> without wearing any protective equipment, et cetera. So it always seemed like basketball was going to be more hazardous, um, and and honestly, I I I think that can probably lead us into Xavier's situation, because there definitely have been different approaches to dealing with this between the between various schools in Division One basketball this year.
2: Yeah, the the biggest difference. Well, uh, there's multiple differences, but like with football, one you're outside, two you're just not constantly around each other.
1: All right, so obviously Xavier is in a situation where they played one game in a month, and uh, who knows when the next time they play will be. They had a series of four or five games canceled. They played Butler. They're now back on pause with uh, the game that was supposed to be today against DePaul was canceled. The Villanova game on Sunday is canceled. The next scheduled game is next Thursday at home to DePaul, and then I believe they play Connecticut at the weekend, so we'll see what happens there snow you have described this as the worst case scenario in a post on the message board for a college basketball program at this stage in the season um, I know you've made the points on the message board but um, but can you add a little gloss to that now yeah I mean what you don't want is you don't want guys popping
2: positives every week and a half weeks and you like and again I'm stating the specific solely from a basketball perspective not from a, a health perspective because then it's you practice you shut down again you practice you shut down again you practice you shut down again and if it like xavier they till you know i guess 24 hours ago had had no what would you call it community spread within any of their infections it was all one at a time so you could never like you're, you're never active basically Um, it's never normal. And what you would want from basketball is obviously everyone never to get it, which is unreasonable. The second thing you would want is what Butler had, which was everyone to get it at once, because then, you know, you're just done for three weeks and then you don't have to deal with it anymore. Xavier's in the worst possible scenario where it's one and then, and then one And it just throws everything miserably. And then on top of that, you've been shut down so often and you still have basically every key player on your roster who's never had it. Right. High risk to get it going forward.
1: Rick, uh, do you agree with that assessment?
2: Yeah.
0: And this was their concern starting from the beginning of the year. And, you know, I mean, there's there's nothing you can really do about it. You wanted to be as safe as possible early on. And I think they felt good about that fact that not a lot of guys had gotten it. And when they did get a breakout, it was really contained. But that doesn't set you up well from a playing games perspective the rest of the season. And it's played out kind of as poorly as they might have imagined. And now we're the the big thing I think that we're getting into and in the the most interesting conversation moving forward to me is, what that means for their resume. And there was a big conversation going on, on the message board. Snow was going back and forth with people about how the NCAA selection committee will view a, a team with f- fewer games played. There, at the end there's of the
1: one point that there, there's one point before we get to that. And I think that's obviously the most important discussion um, from a basketball perspective, but I wonder what you guys think about the idea that maybe, and we can be accused sometimes of being a little bit too complimentary to Xavier's program as a whole in terms of the administrative, the way things are done. But do you think that that, but I I, I w- was thinking back to the uh, discussion that you had with Mario way back in April, Rick, uh, when you interviewed him about all the protocols. And do you think that Xavier, to a certain extent, is like a victim of their, their own diligence early in this process that a lot of other schools kind of got their cases out of the way in the summer and the fall because they weren't either taking it seriously enough or they weren't policing enough, et cetera, or is this just dumb luck?
0: I think a lot of it has to do with luck. Anytime you have exposure, you can get it anywhere. And that's why, you know, when, like when Brian talks about it, it doesn't matter. They wouldn't, they wouldn't have you not play games or anything because you're not getting it from playing games. I I just disagree with that. Like I'm not saying you definitely get it from playing games, but, Anytime you take a road trip and there are extra exposures, we don't know where it's necessarily coming from. So I do think there's a possibility that playing extra games, making extra road trips does play into this. And so I I think that's the thing. It's A lot of it is just dumb luck at this point. We don't know where it's coming from. You can get it in a lot of different ways when you're on a college campus or you're playing basketball games. Um, And so Xavier did a great job of doing everything they could. I think a lot of other programs probably did all they could as well, and they just happened to have it spread.
2: For me, with the resume, I mean, my whole point is like you can look and rationalize how you want. Like the record looks good, but is there much there? Like, is there really much there?
0: No, no, there's not. And I mean, I think, like you said, when you're your your only real resume piece right now is a win over Oklahoma. Now that's not to say you don't have a Good looking resume, and the fact that you don't really have any losses and you have a really nice win, but that still doesn't mean a whole lot at the end of the day. Like, I I think you're going a little too far the other way of it, of like Xavier's screwed because of that. But some people are taking your typical negativity and running with that to mean you're saying Xavier won't make the tournament. I don't think you feel that way. I think you think they're in, but they just don't control their own destiny at all because. They're not going to have played enough games.
1: Well, they don't control their own destiny because they're probably not, because at least if, if things continue the way they are, they're not going to get to play enough games to win their way in. I mean, the the question really will be, it'll be variables that we have absolutely no idea how a selection committee is going to rule on when you look at a team that may have only played 16 or 17 games going into selection Sunday versus teams that have played the line share of their regular schedule. And we don't have any idea because there is no precedent for this. And, you know, Mario, uh, again, going back to the, the preseason interview you did with Mario, they've got that magical spreadsheet that they can plug in. Uh, they can plug in metrics and they can see exactly what the committee has done and what the comparable teams are over the last 15 years. Well, that's all kind of out the window now, because who the hell knows? I mean, we were talking about Xavier going thirty-nine and twenty, or at least I was three months ago. Now it looks like they might go twelve and five this season, so or (laughs) or thirteen and five. So, I mean, what? what, I don't think we have any clue how you judge that. I mean, we saw what the college football playoff did with Ohio State, but that's a completely different thing. So, I don't know.
0: Yeah, and I think comparing ohio state football to no it's not it's a like bad comparison most, yeah it's like it's absurd. a bad
1: comparison but what i'm saying is that there you had a situation where you had a selection committee who was trying to adjudge uh a team that had played six games or five games or whatever it was versus teams that have played basically a full schedule right um, there's no precedent for that in basketball there's n- certainly no precedent for it in professional sports so I mean, I, yeah we, I, t- I totally
0: agree with that part of it
1: we just but, don't have any idea
0: yeah, I, I don't think we have an idea how they're going to view that. And I think there's also a, a pretty big argument that we're missing here that, look, I think Xavier is a, a pretty good team, and they might even be really good. I enjoy watching them. But at the same time, I'm not so sure if they play out the Biggie schedule that they're not going to finish 500 or like one game over So, like, I don't know that playing more games might not expose them a little bit.
1: As well, totally. To if they Partially, had- their record, it depends on who they play. Of and course. if they play the bottom, if they play the lower level teams in the league and they beat them, they may end up with a gaudy record, but their metrics may not look that good.
0: Right. And so I'm just saying that there may be something to the the whole, like, not the Ohio State argument, but the aspect of you have a really weird record that at least looks good because you don't have any losses on it. And the committee has just never had to deal with it before may end up be a being a better thing for Xavier than having a record with. Four or five more losses tacked onto it if they had played their schedule out.
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously we don't know what would happen with games they're never going to play. Um, but I just keep looking at. It, I'm saying, like, sit here and try to tell me like we beat Toledo. Then I'm going to tell yeah. you, you're not pointing to a whole lot.
0: Yeah, I think well, like, Toledo Toledo's good because it plays into your metrics. It's not a game you want to be touting. as yeah. like, look what we did uh, for our resume. Uh, but, you Rick, know. Is, I,
1: there a, is there a parallel, as I'm thinking, I just thought of this and I don't, and I wish I had thought of it earlier because I would have done my usual level of research, which is Google for like six seconds. But is there is there maybe a parallel in those situations where you have a team that loses a star player for an extended period of time. And the committee gives them a bump at the end of the season because, you know, maybe that's the, is there a parallel there? Hypothetically, There, there or was is- a
2: situation. I want to say like five years ago with Wichita state, they were playing in Orlando. And I, I believe Xavier was in Orlando as well. And, but like somehow Van Vliet and Baker were injured and, They were out, they lost all their games in Orlando and they came back like a week later. And then I don't know if they lost, if they like lost another regular season game. And I know like people were kind of wondering, despite being like top 10 in Kempom or whatever it was, just how they'd handle it because Wichita state had literally nothing on their resume and people weren't quite sure. And they got in the tournament. I don't remember exactly what they did in the tournament, but I know they got in, but it was like a lower seed than most people wanted because they felt Wichita State was really good, but they had
1: nothing on their resume. Snow, as I sit here and recall, as I stroke my chin, I believe that was the 2015-2016 season, and they were an 11 seed in the NCAA tournament, defeated Vanderbilt in Arizona before losing to Miami in the Sweet 16.
2: Well, the more you know.
0: (laughs) So it gives you an idea of, I guess, them dealing with a, a weird situation. I don't know if that's uh, – it's certainly not one-to-one. But, I, I, look, I think the way – the position Xavier's in right now is they're definitely in the tournament with the record they have now. If they were to play no more games, I think they are definitely in the tournament. But I, I, where do you place them? I have no idea. And- My whole
2: point is I wouldn't feel comfortable.
1: No, I wouldn't either.
0: And I think that's totally reasonable. I think people are taking that to mean Xavier's not going to be in. And Brian, I mean, what is your take? Do you think they're definitely in? Because I do.
2: At eleven and two, most likely. Um, Yeah. The problem is, what if you're eleven and four or eleven and five? Then you're in trouble. And and that's the thing is, you're going to be a. Let's say their next game is UConn. So you will play one game and.
1: Five games. weeks. Yeah. Five, six weeks.
2: And then you're gonna play Yukon and you gotta think Book Knight'll probably be back by then. Like at what point in time are you just not expected to be a very good basketball team? Now Xavier to their credit has been good coming off of quarantines. Now the last one I was a bit overrated as a quarantine, but let's call it what it is. They only missed like a week of practice. But and it was in the middle. Practice and they didn't practice and they practiced again. I mean, it wasn't like they were just sitting in hotel rooms like, you know, Travis Steele tried to make it out to be just in case they did play poorly against Butler, which they didn't. Um, but, you know, like they, they've they been pretty good coming off of breaks. So there's that to look forward to. But still, I mean, it's getting to the point of sheer ridiculousness right now.
0: Well, and I I, I guess my, my other is what happens with the Big East Tournament? Let's say, I mean, they play hmm. two or three more games here. How much does the Big East Tournament all of a sudden play into this? Do they have to make a run in the Big East Tournament if they've only played 16 games or something? Or is that
1: necessary at that point? I mean, or did, I think that... Do those can get to sh- weighted differently? They have to show up. And I mean, the other thing is, are, they, are you going to seed by pure winning percentage? I guess you have to. The, the Big East said winning percentage. So, I mean... I, yeah, they probably need to go there and they probably need to look like a, a basketball team that's worthy of playing in the NCAA tournament and whether that means making a run to the final or whatever. Um, I don't know. Uh, the other, this, this occurs to me as we were talking about the Wichita State team, but also post-Brawl Xavier kind of reminds me of that. Uh, a team that just got completely discombobulated and in going into the uh, Atlantic 10 tournament that year, nobody knew. They were probably out. Beat Dayton and St. Louis, got to the final, lost, and then you know I think the view was this is a team with that had was viewed as top ten worthy at the beginning of the season. They completely fell apart. Um, we'll call them a ten seed and see what happens.
0: Yeah, but I, th- I mean, but I think that team paid for it. They were one of the last teams in the tournament. And yeah, only absolutely, because of a weak bubble. So well, and that's what
1: I'm saying. I, that's yeah. what I'm saying. I think I agree with what Brian said uh, in some of his message board posts, which is that you do not feel comfortable.
0: Well, but I, uh, I think that Xavier team—I mean, that team had a bunch of losses stacked up, and they paid for that because without those losses, they had they had a really good run to start the season. Uh, they were yeah, what, beaten, ranked seventh in the they country beat, or Purdue, in the country. and
1: they beaten Purdue, they beaten Vanderbilt and Butler on the road. Bad right. Butler team, but right?
0: I mean, so that team—that team, that team would have, have been
2: kicking the, the, the crap
1: out of Cincinnati. It, people
2: forget that. Yeah, the yeah. game um, never ended, but they still won. But hold on, we need to transition to something just because this came up. I don't know when it started. But it seems like the statute of limitations on the brawl is officially over at Xavier University. They're using sound bites from the post game press conference as
1: promotional material. Players are doing zip them up on the. Court. Well, that's been happening for a while. Yeah, but I, I, the, I remember specifically I mean, that was a Chris Cantino special back well, in you know.
0: I remember specifically it was – I don't know if it was a conference tournament game or NCAA tournament game, but JP going around in a circle to all the starters before a game and zipping all of them up. Um, And then (laughs) – I I, was an MSG, yeah. Yeah, and the the new one by CJ Wilcher is outstanding. And the the best is Kunkel hits the shot – he's Wilcher's is doing it on his way back down the court like from the bench and you can see it as they change camera angles to shoot from uh, the opposite baseline so you can see Kunkel's face he catches wilcher doing that and has a big smile on his face as he's getting ready to play defense on the next possession and then immediately after the possession they get a stop he's well, doing the zip up too yeah, that was it pretty really
1: cool. does play into this whole like xavier refashioning themselves and all credit to some of our favorite twitter pirate trolls but uh Xavier's fan base just recasting themselves is instead of 8,000 versions of my dad in Vanillas um, being uh, real shit talkers. It's just my theory because, that, co- that that fan bases
0: take on the personality of their coach because you see well, from being the Jordan wearing Huggins, we don't care about anything, we're tough guys to the whiniest fan base on earth because of Mick, because he whined about everything that didn't go his way. And then Xavier's fan base flipped from being butler fans essentially to being the zip them up crew because chris mack was like embrace that type of stuff
2: yeah and now they've got a head coach with
1: absolutely no personality so i don't know what this <laughs> your fan base is gonna be i should mention i should, should mention, I should mention though that describe they all look like my dad but my dad has always lived that zip them up lifestyle since like the <laughs> 1980s so <laughs> OG gee looks the can up crew look can looks can deceive with with certain but people
2: still, xavier the university is using the press conference in promotional material
0: well i think it's clearly time to make the documentary now i feel like people are allowed to talk about it if they're going to start using uh, Ricky, i
1: thought you and i were going to write a book
0: well you can do the writing of the book i'll, I'll maybe do some interviews with you but uh i i want to do a documentary
2: it'd be a hell of a documentary
1: you and yeah. you and Brendel can collaborate. You guys would. I want I want to
0: collaborate with Andy
2: Furman. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I'm going to collaborate, with Doc, on that one to find out how offended
1: he really was. Uh, yeah. Well, if you get P Doc, you have to get Mo Agger, too, because Mo will uh, blow up P Doc's spot, as we know. <laughs> from certain musketeerreport.com content, hashtag content in the past. Um, so so I guess, Snow, what do you know about – I mean, we know obviously that the DePaul game that was supposed to be over two hours ago didn't happen. And then uh, the Villanova game's off for Sunday, which, by the way, Xavier not having to play at Villanova this year. I got to be honest, I'm not heartbroken. But uh, do we have any clue, assuming, knock on wood – nobody else pops a positive I mean what are we looking at another week two weeks
2: I don't think DePaul at home will happen and part of the reason I say that is I don't think Xavier to play DePaul at home one I'm not sure DePaul wants to play Xavier or will even be allowed per their you know their guidelines but you know for if you're if you're at Xavier's perspective it's a quad three game do you want to play that one so I'm guessing the first game, realistically speaking, would be UConn, whichever day that's supposed to be.
0: Saturday, February 13th,
2: day before Valentine's Day. They'll push it back to the 14th would be my guess. Hmm.
1: But what's the likelihood that that actually happens?
2: Um, they got some good news relatively. I mean, I, I guess I would call it good news. Good news today. There was, as far as I'm hearing, no further community spread. Uh, which would indicate at least temporarily they have it under some control. Now that could change tomorrow, obviously, but um, it's still a low number. It's just the first time it that number hasn't been won, but it's still a low, a very low number. So it just would be Xavier's not a hundred percent, but again, as Rick and I have mentioned, like, their best players are still able to play basketball because they've never had the virus. So,
1: right. No, I mean, I think it's fair to say we know that Scruggs, Fremantle, probably Kunkel, Carter, none of these guys have missed time yet. So it's, yeah, I mean, and that's the kind of thing that could be devastating. I mean, Rick, you talk about the Big East tournament. I mean, what if, it, God forbid, they lose, you know, one of their two best players in the run up to that tournament? It's, uh, it raises questions because they've said we've already heard uh, from the powers that be that they're not developing contingency plans to de- to delay the NCAA tournament or to uh, to uh, 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 postpone games or anything else. They're not going to put it on a pause. So if you show up there and you can't put a team out, you're going to be out, um, even if you're staying at Snow's house uh, for the week, which I assume you're Airbnb and you're upstairs snow yeah thousand dollars a week yeah you got to wear a full like spacesuit to get in but yeah seems fair i mean doc i mean dockage knows where you live so he may he may just show up and say everyone knows the cross streets but yeah i mean right now if the situation
2: stays what the situation is xavier would be able to play and they'd be realistically as you would expect any basketball team to be this time of year That's both a good and a bad thing.
1: Should we talk about the Butler game?
2: Yeah, Yeah,
0: I think.
1: Transition basketball.
0: I think, uh, you know, you guys brought up how well they've played coming off breaks. And Brian, you can, you know, talk about the fact that they're practicing and everything, but I still think it's hard to just not play games regularly and then have, uh, you know, whether Butler is good this year or not, it's still kind of what I would consider a rivalry game for Xavier and to play it at Hinkle Fieldhouse. I thought the first half was especially impressive with how sharp they were offensively in terms of ball movement, lack of turnovers, shot selection, and then
2: just how well they shot the ball. Yeah, I mean, the execution they had within the game, and I'm not trying to diminish, you know, the fact that like Xavier was impressive coming off of a tough situation. I'm just saying it's different than what their situation into the Marquette game, where they legitimately weren't practicing for most of it. Um, but yeah, to, to execute as well as they did, uh, in the course of the first, what, 25 minutes of that game was really impressive. And then it didn't hurt that they best player in the gym by a wide margin.
0: I thought the big thing coming into this, uh, you know, the, the previous four games or whatever that they played prior to this one in the break the big storyline was what happened to Zach Freeman on Paul Scruggs. Neither one of them had been playing poorly, I wouldn't say, but for this team to reach its potential, and by that I mean, you know, reach the second weekend of the tournament or do something in the postseason, they need those two guys to be really good. I think we would all agree with that. Yeah, you and those are
2: best players to be your best players, certainly. and they
0: just weren't uh, living yeah. up to uh, the standard that they had already set earlier in the season. It was good to see Scruggs get back on track in that way because he was as
2: good as he's been all year in that game. He, I mean, he was fantastic. I mean, I don't know what more you could have asked of him. No, uh, his,
1: I mean, he was extraordinarily efficient every time in the second half. So in the second half, you know, Snow talked about after 25 minutes, they were flying. I think they were 20 points at one point. And then they, and then it looked like to me, and you know, this is an uneducated eye, but it looked like they hit a wall physically. It looked like they were just out of gas, which you would expect under those circumstances. And uh, every time they needed a bucket, Scruggs made a basket. Butler went on a 23 to seven run or something like that. They closed it within uh, just a couple baskets, but Scruggs always made the play, the winning play that kept Butler at bay during that period. I mean, he just, he continues to impress me um, and hopefully others. Uh, It just is uh, it's unfortunate that we haven't been able to see him play as many times. We'd like to.
0: Yeah, I think he scored 11 straight points to like kind of end that Butler run and then get Xavier on their own little run right after it and get back in control. And that, that's the type of thing that you really missed from Scruggs when he wasn't going well, is a guy that can just take the ball and and take over a game at the end. And, and if they have that, this team is really good because throughout the course of the game, they have enough options and, and they're moving the ball well enough offensively that – I really like how they play on the offensive end. Defensively, I still have questions from game to game, but there are times where they're good enough that I can see this being a
2: legit second weekend team. Yeah, and what they have is they have the potential on any given night to knock in 15 threes.
0: Yeah, which which allows them to play with anyone in the country at that point. Yeah,
2: exactly. Especially, you know, in a one-game NCAA tournament setting, you know, you're in the second round, you're playing, let's say Xavier's a seven seed and they're playing, even though they lost Houston, And Houston's better than Xavier, but, you know, if Xavier knocks in 15 threes, Houston's not beating him. And quite honestly, there's nothing Houston can do if Xavier's in one of those zones. And that's just the reality in a tournament that can get you a round or two further than you should go. I mean, when VCU made the final four, it's because they were making 18 threes a game. Like what's another team supposed to do? Like so much of threes is you can contest them all you want. They either go in or they don't. Right. And Xavier has guys that are capable, especially if Adam Kunkel starts shooting like he's capable of. Rick is up to 39% now.
1: Nate Johnson's 52%, which will come down a little bit. But Yeah, I, mean, I was going to guess
2: ridiculous. 105%, but you have to get technical. <laughs> um, Kunkel, he was, what, 5 I, five of 25 going into the Butler game? He's a better shooter than that. Uh, you know, CJ can make threes. Colby can make threes, you know. If somehow Kiki Tandy figures out what basketball is again, he's proven that he can make shots at the high major level. So they got a bunch of guys who can really get going, and if you have one of those nights at the right time, you're not losing.
0: Yeah, and I I, I fully agree with that, and I just think the Scruggs part was so important to see again because it's like they they do have that guy, you know, when they they have a, an elite player that's maybe. I wouldn't say he's first team all American or anything like that. He may not be as good as anyone in the country, but he's pretty damn good. And and he can win you a game like he showed not just against Butler, but, but other times this year, the UC game comes to mind as well. Um, and there, there's been other situations where he's really led. The other side of that though, is Zach Freeman. once again, didn't look like himself and, It's hard to explain this whole thing that's going on with him because it's like you don't want to rail on the guy. It's not like he's playing poor defensively. It's not like he's given a poor effort. But the fact of the matter is, is he's missing a lot of shots that we've come to expect him to make. His footwork looks a little weird. His three-point release, just I don't know if the mechanics are off or not or if it's the same, but the shots just aren't going in. Whatever it is, he seems to be in some type of funk.
1: Well, and even when he's had productive games where he's filled up the stat sheet, a lot of times he hasn't it, there's been something that's been weird. Like, like a, we talked a lot of and Yeah, the UC shooting. game where he just didn't really guard Chris Vogt. Um Yeah, I mean, I, it's it's been strange because he clearly has the, the talent and the ability, but it's just like he's been just like a hair off this year, it feels like. It feels like if he snaps into place, everything's going to be fine. But with each passing game, it just – there's something that's not clicking.
0: Well, I mean, I thought through like the, certainly through the Oklahoma game, I thought he was great to start the year. I mean, he looked like the best player on the team and took the jump that we thought he could make and maybe even more based off what we're hearing in the off season. But since around like that Marquette game forward, to me, he's been a different guy. It just seems like his confidence isn't the same.
2: Yeah, I mean, and at this point it's becoming a trend. Now the problem is, is it's a trend, but how much of that is due to, you know, that and how much of it is due to the fact that he's playing a game once every three weeks. Right. It's just, it's just such a unique year in that regard where it's tough to draw too many conclusions. But then again, like bottom line is the bottom line. If you're to be as good a team as they want to be, Zach Fremantle has to be a better player.
0: One of the big topics of conversation coming out of that game was him playing 36 minutes in a game where he didn't play all that well, but just in general, 36 minutes coming off the layoff is a lot of minutes for anyone, much less your sophomore center. Brian, what would you say to that?
2: Uh, I, I wasn't in practice. You know, I, I don't know. I, I know Travis came out and praised Deontay and all that. Deontay was never going to play in that game. You know, maybe Brian Griffin could have played more. I, you know, I don't know. Maybe Travis just didn't for and didn't like a certain matchup for Brian Griffin. And, you know, or certain play style in terms of ball screen coverages. I don't know. But it, as as we say, it's not a competition to see who can, how many players can play the most minutes possible. It's a competition to, uh, to win the game. And clearly the coaching staff felt that having there for that many minutes was the best way to win the game. And I just don't feel I'm in a position to criticize that
0: and that's for the most part how I feel about it. And I, I certainly understand if you talk about the style Butler plays, which is a ton of ball screens and you worry about Bolden getting loose from the outside, if you go to like a zone. So I understand from a matchup perspective, why Brian Griffin may give you apprehension, especially in the second half around that 15 minute mark, when Butler started making the run, I guess my only question would wow. be, is there a way to get, do you just bite the bullet early in a game like that where you know you have the upper hand when you have your best five on the floor and you maybe take Zach
2: out for a war early in the game? I think, Rick, to your point, Xavier was going so good, it's hard to change it up.
0: That's, I mean, that's fair. I, again, I, I get that. And Zach Freeman, you could argue Zach Freeman wasn't a big part of that, but on the defensive end, he was. So, yeah, I mean, I, I get all of that. And like you said, I don't feel like I'm in a position to criticize that but at the same time i get why people would look at that box score and say why the hell was anyone playing 36 minutes much less zach freeman when he wasn't playing all that well
1: yeah fair my opinion was that xavier was going best on offense when they spaced the floor and freeman is a lot more um equipped than griffin is to bring butler's various oafs uh 15 feet from the basket
0: yeah, and that's, that's totally right, but I, I, and then the other side of that argument is, but he scored six points, so how effective was all that going and you couldn't have found one more war at least another two minutes and 30 seconds to get him out of the game? Like, I get the other side of this of maybe you could have found another break for him and he only needed to play 32 minutes in that game or something. But again, I don't think that's a huge difference. And, in, and if that war is the war that Butler goes on a run that lets them take the lead and you never get it back, well, then was it really worth it? You know, I mean, you won the game, so...
2: Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, they won. They controlled the game. They never trailed. I mean, if you're going to pick a part that one of the best players played too many minutes, that's the definition of a first-world problem.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I, I didn't think it was an unreasonable point to make after the game when you look at the box score. At the same time, when people get heavy into like that's bad coaching or it's a huge criticism, it's like I, I don't know if I want to get that
1: far. But as Snow says, I mean, you don't know how Griffin looked in practice that week. I mean it that it, there's a lot of factors that go into that that we just are not privy to. Even exactly. you guys. Yeah. So yeah. I I I think nitpicking things like that are a little bit it's a little bit too much for me. But yeah, I would agree. One
2: thing like maybe you could say like maybe you know he got a weird rotation out there with when DeWa- when Paul had foul trouble, he didn't have enough shooting and you know, friggin' DeWan, by the way, DeWan should be embarrassed. I love DeWan Odom, but when Butler puts John Michael Malloy on you, that might be the most disrespectful thing in the history of basketball. And then when it was effective, it's extremely disrespectful. And that's when Butler went on the run, because DeWan couldn't make a layup over John Michael Malloy. And maybe at that point, you know, you you get you get DeWan out, you I mean, even though it was his two minutes were disastrous. Two minutes you put Kiki in. I could understand that more than a, than pointing out Zach Fremantle's minutes.
1: Well, I think let's talk about that because I think that is potentially an issue is the fact that Dewan Odom doesn't really hurt anybody from outside of about five feet. Do you make it too easy for the other team when you have him in there? I mean, is it, can you, can you do what Butler did and basically put an immobile five and have him stand at the top of the, uh, at the top of the charge arc like Xavier used to defend London Warren
0: oh hell like they've done to Aaron Thompson in past years
1: yeah from Butler
2: um typically DeWan's handled that pretty well this year so I I think it was more of a one-off situation because he just couldn't make a layup I think it was a one-off situation but it, it's something to monitor going forward because I mean it we're not the only ones that watched the film and saw that I mean every other coach did too
1: so I, I think DeWan's going to see a lot of that, and it's going to be up to him to, to make layups. Well, and I guess what it leads me is to the question of Xavier's best lineup or Xavier's closing lineup. And I wonder if, you know, maybe it's Scruggs at the one and Kunkel at the two rather than, rather than Odom at the one.
0: Oh, yeah. I think when Colby is available, your best yeah. lineup is to play Scruggs, Kunkel, uh colby carter and Fremantle. those that's your best five when all when all are available
2: you're putting Kunkel over nate john i'm not necessarily disagreeing oh, i just find it i interesting. mean
0: yeah no i mean nate nate johnson could easily be in there for Kunkel as well I, I didn't mean to shortchange him he's been fantastic so nate johnson's a little bit better defender i would totally be
1: fine with playing him over Kunkel. okay yeah, yeah. But, i mean but either way I, or even over or even hypothetically over jones
0: yeah, although I th- I think J- Jones adds a little something to them in terms of uh, the threat that he yeah the threat that he might make a play off the bounce or or off a slash like with his length and uh, then defensively he just gives you a lot too especially if you're not playing Dwan in that lineup.
2: I mean they they got a lot of options and I, I think part of it, it Scruggs is going to be in the game and Scruggs is going to have the ball in his hands. Um and then outside of that you know maybe to you look at Dwan if you're winning and you say okay he's a good enough foul shooter uh, that his defense makes a difference because he's tremendous on the ball, but yeah, I I would tend to lean with Rick. Uh, I would put, I would put Nate Johnson over, over Kunkel in the lineup, but that's picking nits, so to speak.
0: All right. Well, unless you guys have anything else to add, then I think that does it for this edition of the podcast. You've been listening to another edition of the Dana Victory Podcast, available on musketeerreport.com and all of your favorite streaming platforms. For the legend, Brian Snow and Dan, I'm Rick. Thanks for listening, everyone.